Hey, welcome to the Mentally Chill Podcast. It's your host, Kristen Carney, and I'm about to do something that I'm very embarrassed about. And no, it's not reveal my SAT scores or leave the house without good eyeliner. It's tell you guys things that I am grateful for. You might remember a while back I did an episode on positivity. I threw that shit right out the window. But resident consultant Jen sent me an article today titled, 10 ways to get out of a funk and fast. And it's funny because I did not tell Jen I was in a funk. I think she only assumes. And of course she assumed, right? And uh, one of the ways to get out of the funk is to finish the sentences they have written down with something that you're grateful for. So I'm going to give it a go and hopefully you will too. Okay, so first sentence. I'm grateful that I'm healthy enough to, I would say, go to the movies. Do you have to be healthy to go to the movies? I feel like Going to the movies makes you unhealthy, but I guess you have to be healthy enough to just be able to get out of bed, and I'm definitely healthy enough to do that. Mentally healthy enough to get out of bed? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, the movies. I love going to the movies. Okay, next question. Though I may not be rich, I'm thankful I have enough money to... This is so funny that they know if you're reading this article, you're not rich. Anyone rich, they're like, no, you're not, you're not in a funk. You have no excuse to be in a funk. You could buy your way out of the funk. Okay, so my answer to this one is I'm thankful I have enough money to buy different color chucks now. You might remember an episode I did a while back saying for about 10 years I only had black Converse and finally was able to get red Converse. And then someone lovely who listens to the show sent me gray Converse. And so now I have, and I have a low pair of white Converse now, low tops. So I'm very grateful that I was able to go from just one color to a plethora of colors. Okay, next question. I appreciate that every day I get to see. I'm appreciative that I get to see because I was born with really bad vision. And thankfully for the doctors and technology, I am able to see clearly. Unless I get eye makeup on my contact, then then I can't and I get really annoyed. But yes, I'm appreciative of being able to see every day. Knock on wood, by the way. I'm kind of superstitious. One, two, three, three knocks. Okay, next question. The best things in life are free, including... Oh, this list is so cliche. Jen, why did you send me this? The best things in life are free, including the ocean. I'm at the beach with my parents currently, and as I'm taping this, I am watching the waves crash down onto the rocks and the sand, and... Even though it's not super free because it's expensive to live by the beach and like my parents had to pay to be in this hotel. In theory, the ocean is free because you don't have to pay to enter the sand. So yes, okay, that is my answer for that one. And the last one, I appreciate that I had the courage to. I appreciate that I had the courage to move back east. That is 100% true. I'm enjoying myself. And speaking of that, this episode that is... uh, about to play was taped quite a while ago before I left LA. So I refer to leaving LA as if I haven't left yet. And I didn't uh, realize I wanted to start putting the thunder intro before the segment. So it's awkwardly kind of thrown in there. So keep that in mind. I think I'm going to have to start doing an opening show disclaimer. So my show disclaimer for this week is that the thunder is awkward in it. But I have Colin Robinson back on the show, who was the guest I had about two months ago talking about his experience with addiction. 
now he's back on talking about how he got unaddicted and his experience in a rehab facility and what it was like going through that experience. But quick shout out to the newest Patreon member, Victoria. Thanks for joining. And I saw you took down your post. Put your post back up, girl. And another shout out to everyone who reviewed the show last week on iTunes. Thank you so much. It helps me immensely when you review and rate on iTunes because it pushes my show up in the stratosphere. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And that's going to be it for me. So I hope you enjoy hearing about drug rehab. Enjoy. Okay, so we're doing a follow-up to your first visit. And uh, I'm impressed to see you're not on drugs yet. I'm still not on drugs, yeah. You're not back on drugs? Yeah. I kept, I stayed sober just because I felt like I needed the continuity for this. <laughs> That'd be kind of crazy if it was like, because we didn't tape it very long ago and all of a sudden you relapsed or something and it was because of the podcast. Oh, uh, how awkward. That would not be surprising. I try to pull it together too and I'm like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But that's kind of, see, it's like a theme I feel like in my life where just, I try so hard to do like everything right and then somehow things get messed up. So if I you do relapse I think that's a theme in everyone's life, isn't it? It's got to be for sure. It just feels like when it's your own life, it just feels like you invented it or like it's your, right, yeah. you know, no one else has made things go wrong the way right. you do. Everyone else has it so easy compared to me. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, right now, I'm not going to get into what I'm so upset about, but I want to do drugs right now so bad. Lee, badly. I speak correct English. Mm, right. Because I just want to escape. I'm so stressed. I am so anxious. And uh, I will never do it because it's just not my personality. Good. That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that the slippery slope thing, like, I, you know, I'm too aware of that. But, uh, but yeah, oh my God. If I have never done drugs, but if I could just dip my head into a vat of meth everything would be okay. I don't, I don't <laughs> think it would be actually. Let me just, yeah, let me uh, intervene there. No. Um, also I think in general, if you're going to use drugs as a coping mechanism is not when you want to be using them. Right. But isn't that how, so I mean, I know you didn't get into them that way, but isn't that why so many people fall into that? You know, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like most people, the answer is no. I think most, yeah, the vast majority of people, enjoy even if it just starts with drinking or smoking weed or whatever it is it's fun for them i don't know too many people that don't do drugs and then just turn to it when they're sad i'm not saying there's nobody but i just in my experience with a lot being around a lot of drug addicts i don't know if i ever heard that story wow that yeah. really surprises me because that's how i have reconciled so many people doing drugs and a kind of understanding or having sympathy for why they're doing drugs because i realize life is so difficult and painful that you you know like I, f I always feel like alcoholics, th I don't know if, you know, it's just a cliche, but it's like they drink because they're so unhappy, you know, so it's different with drugs. So, uh, no, I would include alcohol with the drugs thing, but, okay, so we're talking about two different things. One, there are people that have already used drugs and or alcohol, whatever, that then turn to them in moments of despair. This is common. This is not uncommon. But for someone who's more in your situation where you don't have a history of drug abuse, to turn to it in this moment is much less common in my experience. I mean, okay. there may be a thousand people that email you and be like, no, 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 that's exactly what happened to me. But I've been around a lot of drug addicts and I've, I don't think I've ever heard that once now that I'm thinking about it. I don't, but I definitely know people that have been sober for a long time and then turned back to them during the despair, but they already had a history of ah. doing drugs. So I think they knew what to expect. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So we're going to talk more about the treatment process because when you were on the show, we talked 
how you got into drugs. And you are so if if someone hasn't listened to your episode to catch them up, you know, because sometimes people just jump into whatever episode and haven't listened to all of them. Um, which shame on you for doing that. You have to yeah, listen like, to all yeah, the episodes. Go look yourself in the mirror. What kind of person are you? <laughs> exactly. So for people who were not aware, you were um, addicted to drugs from the age of basically 12 to 18, was it? No. 17? Le- I mean, I started a 19? little younger. I got hooked, you know, yeah, 12 is just fine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And then I got clean a few weeks basically, after. Basically, you didn't have pubes. Yeah, oh, no, definitely not. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Oh, my God. I just can't get over doing drugs before getting pubes. Yeah, I was impatient. I tried to wait. <laughs> it probably made them grow in a little it's bit, like, made you manly. Where are these things? But no, they just they never showed up, so I just went with it. Yeah. So you had uh, the descent into this addiction, and then we didn't really talk about your ascent yes. into healthy, happy... Sobriety. Sobriety. Yeah. So start, just take me from the beginning. So... Last time, I guess, we kind of ended with me going to treatment. Does that sound about right? basically. Okay, so I was, you know, long story short, I was in and out of rehabs, hospital facilities, outpatient facilities, um, you know, treatment programs, yada, 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 for years, and I couldn't stay sober for more than, you know, I think the most I ever had was 59 days or something like that, which seemed like an eternity back then. And then this last time, um, I think I mentioned that guy, Bob Timmons, who was the one working with the celebrities, and he ended up kind of you know, realizing I needed help. And he got me into an adult facility, even though I was underage in West Hollywood. I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, West West LA. And the place was called Liberty House. It's no longer around in that form. They've moved to Kentucky and they have a huge ranch now where it's like a just a gigantic, like acres and acres of sobriety. But this was a house in a neighborhood, unassuming in West LA. Oh, a house? So was it like a halfway house? Uh, yeah, it was like a halfway house. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a term. That's, I don't even really know what those are. Yeah, I figure I they're think just halfway ha- to you know, something. I have to be honest. I th- I don't know what the technical term is, but halfway house is something we use, but I think technically halfway house is more like when you got out of jail to kind of, you know... Re-enter the yeah, world. Yeah, I believe so, but don't hold me to that. But, I, you know, cause, but we call them sober living homes. So it was a sober, sober living home. And the one I went to was incredibly structured. Like incredibly structured i could spend and i won't but i could spend 20 minutes just talking about the structure of that house and everything you did wrong you had to write essays for oh wow and while you were and while you had essays until you were done you were not allowed to speak to anybody else and nobody else was allowed to speak to you and if you did you guys both got more words on top of the essays you had to write oh damn and i'm talking everything like you know big things like you can't just go anywhere you have to get approval 24 hours in advance for where you're going to be and what time you're going to be there even something like 7-eleven you know if you're walking to an aa meeting with a few of the guys and you want to pop into 7-eleven on the way back to get you know water or whatever you can't didn't that make you feel claustrophobic or angry or something that would really bother me you know no i don't like being controlled i don't like being on other people's schedules and times i know the the way it was sold to us which actually was which which worked and was accurate was it wasn't about us not having the freedom to do that it was about us sticking to some sort of structure in our life to me which was which for me in my experience was far more important than anything i don't i don't mean to you know downplay the importance of alcoholics anonymous or narcotics anonymous but this was more important to me i needed the actual structure so i was in a home i should just go there for the shit of it because i have no structure in my life yeah that it would actually it would be interesting yeah you just (laughs) go and pretend you're a drug addict yeah (laughs) um but yeah so I'm thin enough to be one right now because yeah. I have no appetite lately. Yeah, you've got the head in the vat of meth. That's a pretty good <laughs> starting place. So yeah, so it was un- incredibly structured. So we couldn't go anywhere. We even had you know silly things like, you know, if you left a, 
a cup out on the counter in the kitchen because you know you got 25 guys living in one house so you need to keep it clean and we had chores and the chores had to be done and each each week somebody was assigned to the person who approves everyone's chores so if you didn't get the chores done right they wouldn't approve you blah 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 so it was to almost 24-7, you know, obviously when you're sleeping, you're sleeping, but we had to be up and out of bed with our bed made by a certain time, and every minute that we were late on that time, we got a 100-word essay, <gasps> you know, things like that, so, and there were sometimes you'd get, you know, you see people with 50,000 words, and it yeah, would be... Yeah, because say 100 is really not a lot, right? it will add up it if you It adds up if you keep up. messing, exactly, and sometimes you'd see people with 50,000, 60,000 words, and they, they couldn't speak to anybody. I don't even anybody. know 60,000 words. Uh, you don't have to, they don't have to be different words. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> they would give you topics to write on, you <laughs> that know. That would be crazy. You the have key to with those them. was always using anything over four letters was a sin, you know, because you're just yeah. killing yourself after that. <laughs> right. It was insane to write anything more than four, four letters. Right, right. They weren't super stickler about the content of yeah, their letters. Sure. It was more about doing it. But yeah, so, you know, if you had 50,000 words, I say you couldn't speak to anybody and you can't do anything either. You can only go to A means you can't do, you know, if a few of the other guys want to go bowling or they want to go see a movie or something like that. What about you, like TVs and stuff? No, you can't even look at the TV. Phone? If you get, no. I know. Oh, well, this is This was this the early before. 2000s, so there was no cell phones allowed. Yeah. And this was just flip phone, flip phone we, had a, we, we actually had a legitimate coin-operated payphone inside the house. Wow. Yeah, so this is, I'm dating myself <laughs> wow, here. That's, but it's just crazy that, that we, we, I feel like we're not old enough for that to be us, but it is, I guess. It, well, it was me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you. Definitely was me. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 34. 35. Oh, God, you're old. Yeah. Yeah, so you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Old and miserable. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so that structure was literally what I attribute to being the number one thing that saved my life, really. And I, well, in so many episodes, I can't even name, I, however many, we've talked so much about, or I have talked so much about structure and needing structure. And Mike Carano, who's a frequent guest on the show, when he was on with Dr. Drew, we both would benefit so greatly from structure, but neither of us, we desperately don't want structure feeling it the feeling is like dipping your foot into a hot fire it, that, it that's how miserable it sounds in my mind but I know how good it would be my brother had a really 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 hard time with discipline and my dad was not a disciplinarian whatsoever and so my brother when he graduated from high school kind of effed around a bit he didn't go to college right away he, he, he did and then he kind of dropped out and then he was just drinking all the time he was gaining weight he was sleeping until four in the afternoon I mean it was just a bad scenario so he went and lived with my grandparents in Salt Lake City Utah and it's already more conservative there in terms of the lifestyle like there's it's not an understatement much. but yeah <laughs> yeah um they're basically Amish uh but Mormon but uh he didn't have the opportunity to party as much there and then on top of it, my grandfather was like a drill sergeant. And it was like the clock struck like 6.30 a.m. And he, my brother was forced out of bed. He was for, like, he made him go to the gym. He made him go get a job, you know, a steady job. And my brother came back after a year. It was just a year. But after that year, he came home for the first time we saw him. And he was like glowing. He was in the shape that you're in now. He was just he was tan, like he just looked alive because he had finally, for the first time in his, in his life, had structure. It's so funny because people say you marry your father. My mother did not marry her father because my dad is the polar opposite of my grandpa. My my dad's just like, hey, yeah, yeah, you can wake up. What time are you waking up? One, all right. Well, when you wake up, come like, yeah, come sit on the couch. Like that's my dad and my grandfather's like. That's an ambitious day, by the way. <laughs> Get up at one me, and then come on, sit on the couch. For me, super yeah. ambitious. So with my grandpa, it was, uh, you know, he was way more militaristic and it proved so helpful for my brother. And that's what I need right now. I just refuse to put myself in the position to get it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because, so my situation was 
at that point I was willing to do anything literally anything whatever it was within you know reason I would have tried why were you willing to do anything I was done I was but why were you done what made you hit that point I was done for a while and I couldn't get clean. I could not get clean. I mean, I... But what 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 about it made you done, though? Did it? Did you feel like a loser? Did you feel no, sick I didn't even, all the time? I wasn't like, what was it? socially aware enough to feel like a loser. That wasn't even a thing I was capable of doing. I didn't care at all about anybody else or what they thought or, you know, it didn't even... That didn't even enter my mind. I just... It wasn't working anymore. I was miserable. Like, and I couldn't... I wasn't even having fun getting high, but I couldn't stop getting high. It's like the... Right, right. I know exactly. It's like, it's, I almost picture a, like a dog in heat and he's not like enjoying humping, but it's like he can't help but hump because he has to hump. I don't know if yeah, you're doing drugs. It's like you just have no choice and your body just kind of goes into this motion where it's happening and there's no control over it and it's not like a fun experience. Right. And there was definitely no orgasm either. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, this dog. It was. Uh, yeah, I don't think the dogs, when dogs are humping dry, the air or like dry, they don't ever do, like go, do they? I, I hope not. Because I never see if after thing. Yeah, that's not a thing that I right. think anybody I think really wants to be cleaning up. they just feel the need up. to this is, uh, this is why people listen, by the way, for these um, type of tangents, you know? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is what they're tuning in for. why I have five stars. <laughs> um, Speaking of, if you like that tangent, please rate the show five stars. Anyway. If anyone's listening to this and is not writing five stars, I don't even... Well, I see the numbers of the downloads. I uh-huh. have, you know, it's like about 300 plus ratings, something... Like three three hundred and twenty or something like that, three ten or something. Uh, but then I see the thousands of people that are listening. It's like, wow, there are thousands of you guys that have not rated. So I see you. Yeah, I see, see you guys. guys lurking out there. It's okay. Lurking, Just put yeah. a five. You don't even it's need a, to put words. No, Just no, put the five star. Literally, in. click a it's button. It's like fifteen seconds out of your 15 day. Fifteen seconds. Yeah, and it's way more exhilarating than the show. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the best part of your day is giving it the five star. Exactly. So um, anyway, yeah. So that was incredibly structured and. The guy who ran, his name was Larry, or his name still is, uh, Larry, Larry Luttrell. He's still a friend of mine. I text with him regularly. Well, if I was ma- named Larry, I might change my name anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he was, um, you know, he's a country boy from Kentucky. And I, it was one of those things where how the hell did this guy end up with a sober living house in LA, West Los Angeles, right. you know? And he was like country. Like his, his brother is a truck driver. You know, he ended up moving the house out there to a ranch where he goes like shooting with the people and da 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 da, you know? And uh, he had the full accent. He never would have fit in in Los Angeles. Or not, I don't mean did fit he, in, but did, physically, did he look like Kentucky? Um, he looked like a he was a regular looking okay, dude, but yeah. he you know he dressed like Kentucky, yeah. and you know, but he was all the teeth. He had all the teeth though. He, oh yeah, but yeah. I mean, I mean it in an endearing way. I mean, totally. he was amazing yeah, 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 and right. saved my life. You know what I mean? Like I mean, a if special he, soul in if LA. He listens you don't to this, see him. He would laugh. He'll be laughing right now. He yeah. won't be offended. You know, he'll be laughing. Um, it's so special though when you meet those people in a city like this. Where there's such a gem. Like I saw. It wasn't like a trendy girl wearing overalls. It was like a country man, you know, wearing overalls here. And yeah. I just wanted to hug him. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you're you're like, oh, human. you're doing it legitimately. Like yeah. this is real. You really need those yeah. overalls. <laughs> um, and yeah, I always kind of joke that that Larry is like, like okay, let's take Michael Jordan for example, right? We all know Michael Jordan. I don't think that there was anything else that he could have been better at than basketball. He just happened to find the thing that he was the best at, right? And I think Larry like me with podcasting, yeah, like you with podcasting, <laughs> and Larry with uh, working with people in sobriety and identify specifically his little niche was identifying the disease in things that other people would never see. So he would start honing in on certain things, and sometimes we we would have these groups, uh, 
twice a week, but the big one was, I think, Thursday nights. And sometimes it would go to 4 or 5 a.m. because he would find, somebody would say something in a way that everybody else was like, whatever, that was so benign. And he would hone in on it, hone in on and keep everyone up and awake until the person admitted that there was something going on. Wow. And he was never wrong. He never was wrong. And so I'm he talking, had like x-ray vision into the human Here's experience. the best example I can give you. We had a Christmas party every year. And during the Christmas party, there was a video camera, and we would just pass the video camera around. Again, 25 guys living here, and graduates would come to the, vi- to the party. And, 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 uh, were any of them cute, by the way? They're, like all, they're g- all guys. I know, but like, we're, if I was a girl and walked in there, and I'd be oddly attracted to ex-drug addicts, or what did everyone look like they were a mess? Well, I mean, I was there. Well, yes, you were cute. I'm but, um, I... but did everyone seem like a mess? You know, well, here's the thing. When they get there, yeah. But I, I lived, I was in the program for two years. So wow. by two years of sobriety, I hope I don't look like a mess anymore. Okay, you know? right, right, right. So I get, it. I'm trying to have a visual of these yeah, guys. Okay, but there so. were guys in there. There were definitely some guys in there that there was nothing they could ever do to not look like a mess. They were permanently going to look like a mess. The best we could hope for was that they because of stopped, years stopped and years like and years mess. of abuse. Oh yeah, we had had guys with wet brain. We had guys What's with wet the, brain. Wet brain is like when you've drank so much that you're just you're not coming back. You know, you're not. It's oh, just oh, that's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, God, I have so I could tell so many kind of interesting stories from that place. But the one about Larry is that after during the during the Christmas party, everyone's filming. You know, we're passing the camera around for five minutes at a time. Everyone's filming, and then you know, like the next week around New Year's, we always watch it together because that's one of those times. It's like a little bit emotional for a lot of people, and some people have trouble staying sober during that era because they have whatever memories. And I don't relate to that. I don't care about Christmas or New Year's at all or any holiday. But there were definitely guys that were that was like a thing for them, you know. So he would kind of keep everybody grouped together during that time of the year. So we had the Christmas party, and then we would watch the video of the Christmas party like around New Year's just to get everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd all sit in the room together and, and kind of watch it like a camaraderie thing, yada yada yada. So as we're watching it one year, he goes, um, and I'm going to do my. Larry voice impression. It's been got a decade since I've done this. He goes, everyone, everyone shut the podcast off for yeah, a second. Yeah. He goes, Hey, who's filming right now? And we look over, we're like, Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's this guy, Derek. And he's like, okay. And then he, and then, uh, you know, five minutes later, he goes, someone else filming right now. Who's this? He'd be like, Oh, that's Lewis. Okay. Okay. Filming. Yeah. Filming. Filming. We're watching the video of the, we're watching the video. Oh, of, so you guys are trying to recollect who at the correct. time had the he's camera. He's asking who had the camera at this okay. point. So then about, you know, 20 minutes later, the thing goes, this is Derek again, right? Is he the one filming this again? And, we're, and Derek was like, yeah, that's me. That's me. The same thing happened two or three times. He picked out when Derek was filming based on Just what he saw came. on the thing. Oh, And interesting. then he turns to Derek and he goes, you're taking a UA right now. You're high. You're fucking high. And UA is a urinalysis. And the guy, Derek, looked at him and was just like, no, wow. you don't have to. You're right. The fuck is he seeing? Every pa- what is he seeing? <laughs> he would think every single parent that's ever operated a camera is high because they're so bad at it. Oh, it was. Yeah, <laughs> like my dad is beyond high. Yeah, he's His camera he's, work he's is hopeless. So bad. He, yeah, yeah, he can't even work with this. But yeah, it was the most bizarre thing. I mean, I remember us watching it and just being like, "What the fuck? Like, I have no idea what there's." You're I can't, not seeing what he's seeing. Yeah, I can't see it. So, did Larry have experience as a drug drug addict? Correct. Yeah, he actually graduated from a similar house, which was the most structured sober living home kind of in the LA area, if not all of the US. And then he opened this one, which was even more so. And I think at that point in time, I don't know about now, I'm not in touch with that um, industry anymore, but at that point in time, it was for sure the most structured and most legitimate sober living, because there's a lot, most legitimate sober living home in the United States, at least, if not the world. But there's a lot of these places that are that we would refer to as crash pads. And by we, I mean people at Liberty House, because we knew the difference between going to a regular sober living home where 
you know, you're just living there. You go out all day long. You come back home. You're supposed There's to stay no sober. Yeah, like you could get high and come back. And as long as you don't get caught, really, no one's going to do anything. They're just kind of collecting a rent check and making money on the whole thing. Who's paying the rent? The people that live there. So you have to pay rent to be Correct. there? Correct, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I thought it was like maybe government funded or something. No, no, no. It's a private, this is a private oh, thing. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Not even insurance will Where cover. Where are people so getting living. the money to do this? Uh, he did not charge a bazillion dollars. Okay. He, he in fact, I, I worked there. I was a manager for a year, year and a half there as I was living there and after I moved out as well. Um, and I did all the bookkeeping and banking is, was one of the parts of my job I did. And I can tell you straight up that there were months where he was personally losing money and putting it back into the business because there were a few people that didn't have money, but he didn't want them on the street. That's he didn't amazing. want them leaving. Yeah. You know, and I knew that there were guys that were sleeping on the couch and stuff for free. And that means being fed too. You're, you're being fed and that's all his expense. You know, all of those things are his expenses and the utilities and everything like that comes straight out of his pocket if the money's not coming in. He's doing the, the cooking. We did. That's one of the chores. Okay. Yeah, there's a breakfast chef. Lunch, it's kind of on your own. There's sandwich meats or whatever. You make whatever you want. And then there's dinner chef, and the dinner chef had an assistant. So that was two people, you know, and it was one week at a time. And those chores were the big ones at dinner. How were their chef skills? Food decent? That was part of the thing. It was rolling the dice, you know. Sometimes you'd be like, you know, so-and-so would be on the dinner chef, like, and oh, everyone would shit. groan. They'd be like, yeah. oh, fuck, we're yeah. screwed, you know. But <laughs> I, there were a couple guys yeah. in there that were uh, professional chefs as a trade, you know, and sometimes they would get it. We were like, oh, my God, they would go, they would just for fun. They would go crazy. It was great. Well, it seems like like chefs have drug problems because I everybody watch, has drug problems i know but in the chef world or something it seems like a lot of guys that either were in prison or were on drugs once they're out they become chefs it's like i think because they learn the skill either in their halfway home or whatever it is or li sober living home or prison because they start cooking there or something i don't know it I've could be one of those kind I, of I trades they teach in prison i don't know right i watched the show chopped a lot and a lot of the people on there were like well i was on drugs and blah 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 it's either you find jesus or you find cooking it's one or the other one of the two yeah <laughs> so no comment when yeah. when you were going through all this okay this is what was actually happening in terms of the house but what was going on physically inside of you and inside of these other guys was there a lot of withdrawal and coming down and sickness oh absolutely yeah so so i had already by the time i got to the sober living home i was already sober like i forget not a long time but i had been through uh hospital detox basically so i had kicked and done all that stuff in in the hospital so by the time i got there i was pretty stable as far as that goes so it was an actual hospital it wasn't a no 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 sober place that was a separate place yeah okay. that was a separate place that that's where i got taken before i went to liberty house they're unassociated um that was when my insurance dropped me and that bob timmons guy that i mentioned in the first one came in and took me to the yada yada, yada. okay so so you had already been sober then you went and went there so you didn't have to go through any of the withdrawal stuff well i did but just not there but there were definitely guys right, that right. came in high you know the day they got there they were still high and they had to kick heroin in the house. And you wow. know, there was a big, uh, one of those kind of jacuzzi tubs in one of, in the master bedroom of the house. And they would basically live in those things. You know, you'd see them taking cold baths and hot baths and cold showers. And is back is the that what bath. the process is? So tell me what the process is of actually the withdrawal. It, the withdrawal from heroin is really, I mean, the best way I can explain it is it's kind of like a flu, the worst flu you've ever had times, depending on how much you were doing, anywhere from 10 to 100, literally. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, like every molecule of your bones will hurt and you will go, you'll be throwing up, you'll be having, sweating incessantly. You have a hard time keeping any food or water down, but you need to keep putting it in. Um, the hot and cold flashes are really intense. And it's just... Menopause. It's a, yeah, it's like a pain inside your bones. Like there's nothing... You can't describe it. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's, it's a hard... It's, I don't know how else to explain that. I mean, that's my best describing it. It's not like a thing that you could have massaged out or anything like that. You just have to man up and deal with it. So but the no scratchiest part about and it. Stuff? Like they can't give you anything. No, we didn't no, we don't we didn't mess around with any of that stuff. No. Oh my god. No. The only 
the only ones that they allowed in the building were if they were prescribed um, for, you know, like anxiety disorder or something like that. Mm-hmm. And even then we would meet with the doctors and be like, look, what's the, what, 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 what's the least we can get them on? What's, you know what I mean? Can we switch them from Xanax to Wellbutrin or something like this? It's a little less, you know, addictive and not going to get you as high stuff. But we always kept it by we, I mean, uh, I'm speaking as when I was a manager, not a resident. We kept all of the meds in a safe and they had no access to them. So they had to come. We had a thing called banking and meds twice a day in the morning and then right after dinner at night. And you had to come and, oh, that's the other thing. We kept all your money too. You didn't have to, you did not, you were not allowed to have more than $20 on your person at any time. And if you got caught with more than $20, it was a big essay. I think I'm living there right now. And a huge explanation. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah. That's not going to be where you get essays from. Um, But yeah, so they had to get their medication and we would, you know, we would give it to them and then make them take it in front of us so that they didn't hoard Xanax for three or four days and then try to get high or something stupid like that, you know? So would it be the little cup kind of like in one flew over the cuckoo's nest? You know, I only ever read it. But that's like the one I in imagine. In the movie, yeah. they just—I mean, that's—I'm. That they always like have that paper. with the mental institutions. A little paper cup, and yeah. they watch you swallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, were guys ever tucking it under their tongues or anything? Well, you know, we we had one guy one time that uh, managed to take his whole bottle, and it wasn't even a, the reason that he was able to take it is because it wasn't a pill that he could get high on. But he actually snatched the whole bottle of a pretty benign drug, but he took the whole thing and tried to kill himself oh, in geez. the middle of the night. So that was yeah. super super awkward. He did not die. He was all right. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever described an attempted suicide as awkward. It, yeah, <laughs> but, well, but I get it. It was awkward. Why was it awkward? I have to be honest. It's really a bad. It's really a bad word to use. But the reason it was awkward because in my head I, I remember, you know, one of the guys in his room was like, "Yo, something's wrong here." So we all kind of came up there, and, and then we rolled him over, and he had just oh, diarrhea all over yeah, the place. I was going to say there that, had to be yeah. some sort of bodily Yeah, and we were like, function. oh, fuck, we need to get, you know, we need an ambulance yeah, right now. That's so. humiliating and horrifying and so sad. Yeah, it was really sad. But he's okay, and last I checked, so over many years, and, you know, so there's a... Yeah. So were you watching guys go through emotional problems at oh, all? Oh, 100%, everything. Like, the whole spectrum. I mean, you get pretty much just like a microcosm of the world. You didn't... This was not a place that had one type of person. There were... The melting pot of... Oh, yeah. There were hard street felons in there, you know, guys that had committed violent crimes and there were pedophiles in there and there were rich kids that, you know, I'm not going to name, but you know, their parents, that the pedophiles you know? liked. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so you had, we had, you know, the whole, the whole spectrum. There was a huge, it was actually very interesting to me because it was uh, the f- really kind of the first time that I had ever had this much in c- close encounters with uh, homosexuals. Cause I was, you know, I was just like a dude in high school or whatever. And and then uh, all of a sudden I'm living with, you know, like nine out of 25 guys were gay and three of them had HIV. And I'm, I am just turned 17 a week ago and I was like, oh, what the? F- yeah, this so it was like, a whole new world. Yeah, this is like next level. And, you know, it was just, it was, had to, I guess for me, I had to grow up pretty quick. Cause it's it was like, like the like, Abbey, but not as fun. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when they were having their emotional problems and going through the pain of mental pain of this whole thing, were they able to have their own space to have privacy or is it a show basically and everyone's seeing it's kind of it's not that they weren't given privacy they were not given really privacy but it's not that they weren't given it for any sort of you know malicious thing it was more that it was kind of a teamwork thing you know everybody would kind of go through it with them That's and nice. kind so of support people them and dicks and stuff like oh no, I fuck mean, that guy there were dicks people didn't get along and there were you know arguments and things like that or whatever but it wasn't it wasn't like you know overall it felt supportive yeah, oh yeah absolutely yeah. everyone's there for the same thing you know but you're never going to get a bunch of people who all get along and if you did that'd be so weird and boring anyway so did they ever have psychiatrists or therapists come so yes they did um they had 
licensed psychiatrists that would come to the family group once every weekend. And then they also eventually expanded into having a hospital treatment facility as well, where they had licensed, you know, MDs and everything on, on, on site at all times, 24 seven. So. Did you need any of that? No, I, by the time we did that, I was actually on the administrative side of it. Yeah. Oh, so while you were there, it, this became a new thing. Yeah, we got, yeah, we ended up expanding. There were, so we had two homes on the same street and we turned one of them into a uh, detox and more hospital license facility where we took insurance payments and things like that. And that's where the therapist would come and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know at all what the, like, did they use cognitive behavioral therapy with drug addict, ex-drug addicts? Or, like, do you know what they were doing in therapy at all? You know, I can't say, but I, I can tell you that it wasn't really, it wasn't heavily intensive therapy sessions. It was more monitoring them. The biggest concern was physical, you know, because these guys are in detox at this point. And they would only stay in that in that house for 10 to 20 days. And then they would move over to the actual sober living home. And at that point where we only had the only, you know, psychiatrist we ever had was the once a week at the family group. And that was kind of a more of, I don't want to say a novelty, but it wasn't really, uh, you know. Yeah, it seemed like uh, almost too much of a group session to actually 100%, get one Because then one. you got everybody and their family. You got 100 people in the room or something like that. And it's not, you know, you, oh, wait, they so would go. Fa- families would come? Once a week. We had a family group, yeah. Oh, I thought you went, when you said family group, I was thinking that all of the guys that lived in the house would be the family. Oh, yeah, no, no, no I see what you're Yeah, yeah, I should. should okay, so family that. group meant actual family members Correct, would come. Yes, yeah. Did you get a sense that they were proud of the people, their their family members, like for doing this and going yes. through this or were they angry at that? No, in general, yes. I mean, of course, when people first came in, there was a lot more than just pride because at that point, they're still not believing the person's going to get sober or they're just, you know, a lot of them are just hoping that this is going to be the one. You see a lot of mothers just on the verge of breaking down and they, they don't, there's nothing left. They have yeah. nothing left. You know what I mean? There's nothing left to give. They just need their son to they're desperate. figure it out. Yeah, they the only thing that I really know about addiction is from what I've watched on intervention uh-huh. and every episode, it really seems like, and I understand it makes total sense, but it seems like the addicted person has so much resistance to getting treatment and they, you know, they storm out when there's the intervention right. and they, it, intervention everyone, is made to be entertaining television. Definitely. They're not going to take cases of people that just genuinely wanted to get sober and do whatever true. they can. Okay. Nobody wants to watch that, you know? I was wondering if the drama level was close to where people didn't want to be there and they There were definitely people who didn't want to be there, but we had an open door policy. If you don't want to be here, take your stuff and leave. Yeah. It was you're not on lockdown at all. You're in a house in a neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like you walk out the front door and go home. Was it a nice looking house? It was beautiful. There was a house in Santa I mean, Monica. There's 25 guys living there, so you had to be a decent size. Well, right. And I assume like the grounds were kept nice and Well, stuff, we did that you, ourselves. Right, right. Yeah. That I was one of the chores sure. was gardening. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was a sober living house that, or I don't know if it was a halfway house or a sober living house. We used to say halfway house, but I think it's just because we didn't really know. Yeah. But, I mean, I, we can use them interchangeably. It's not. Yeah. yeah. So this house in Santa Monica was so nice. I'm like, oh my God, I want to live there. And I had no idea at the time what it was. Yeah. And then I realized once I saw the comings and goings, because I would walk my dog by it a lot, that that what it was. But it was uh, beautifully maintained. It was beautiful architecture, painted freshly. It looked like such a nice, fresh living environment. Way like Way nicer than where I was living. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, okay, so then when the guys decide to leave, is it all on their own or are they told when they should leave? Okay, so as far as graduating the program, that's up to Larry and Larry oh, exclusively. Oh, so that's a graduation. Yeah, so when you cap and, actually... Cap and gown? No cap and no gown, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, similar. Mm-hmm. No, no stuff, just more the whole... It's a very emotional thing for a lot of guys that do it. and Yeah, it's a big It's moment. a big deal, yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of these guys are... Some of the, pro, you know, bigger problem guys, and this is, this is where we get 
it's not really about how bad they were on drugs, but more about behavioral. Because a lot of these guys, the drugs were a symptom of the behavioral problems as well. You know, you got guys that are just so petulant or just won't listen to anybody or so full of themselves or so... That's the intervention people I'm thinking of. Yeah, so we did get those guys for sure. But most of the time, they didn't make it. They didn't make it in this house because it was too structured and too gnarly for them to to make it through. This was like the Marines versus the Army. So, Or like the Marines versus... ROTC and JROTC in high school or something, if you know what that is. Yeah, I do know what it is. This yeah. sounds like the way more Marine version of, like, because you have to wake up, make your bed. You know, I this know is there's more, no sit-ups. This but is like, more like the Marines versus, like, you know, your gym class in high school. Right. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah that's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, a lot of people broke. I think, I don't know what the numbers are for sure, but I think something like, I think it was under 1% of people that get checked into the house graduate. Whoa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's insanely right. low. Insanely low, yeah. That's really sad. Right. But of the people that graduate, I think it has the highest success of long-term sobriety of any comparable program, period. I just picture what all of those guys are doing now that didn't make it. A lot of them come back in. They end up back in there. Mm-hmm. So if you came in three times, that still only counts. And you graduate once, it still only counts as 33% on you, you know? Right. Um, a lot of them are dead. I could list off 20 so names of guys that I lived with that are dead. Wow. Easy. How do you hear about their passing? Well, sometimes they would leave the house, go get high in OD. Oh, oh, so, okay. Yeah. I was thinking like years later. You'd sometimes hear it'd be years died. later okay, and you just right. kind of have, I mean, I'm still connected to that circle somewhat, but the ones that you were friends with, you know, if they died, then you would probably hear about it. You know, I lived, I have good friends from that house or... I don't want to say had good friends, but I had really good friends, guys that I lived with after the house that were my roommates for a while, and they all ended up getting high, and we just don't talk anymore, you know? And I'm still friends with some of their family. It's just such a waste of time. Like, you put in all that time in this house, and then you just go right back to what you're doing. Yeah, it's really sad, because I knew that they were train wrecks, you know, before they they came in there. What do you think it is about someone that makes someone able to become sober like you versus someone who just can't and dies? I have no idea. I don't know. I think if anyone, honestly, I think if you could answer that question, you would win a Pulitzer, uh, you know, not a Pulitzer, but <laughs> great. Well, I'll probably that win one eventually. Yeah. So I think that you would win like a Nobel, a Nobel Prize or something prize, like that. Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there's got to be some science prizes there. That's, that would be, that's a magic question. Because if we could isolate something like that, then you're, you know. You're yeah, doing, that's a million dollar yeah, question. You're basically curing cancer or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. All I know is that for me, I can only speak for me and I knew that I didn't want to get high anymore. I was miserable. I was dying. I was overdosing. I was unhappy. I mean, I already said miserable. That's also unhappy, but you get the idea. Yeah. I was done and I couldn't stop. I could not stop. I couldn't 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 stop. And it was killing me. But did you see a future for yourself? I always think that's the difference. And my boyfriend says uh, all the time that depression is the inability to make a future for yourself. And so I feel like maybe people who were able to survive and move forward were ones that felt like they had stuff to look forward to. Like they wanted to have a full life and have a family or, you know, have success or something like that that was pulling them away from the drugs maybe. I I can't answer that one way or another. I don't really remember. I, I just remember, okay, so I remember in that era, my whole viewpoint was very small. Like I had tunnel vision and it was basically like, the next 72 hours or whatever it was. Just getting through the next That was it, yeah. So if something 72 hours from now was going to happen that I was going to get, you know, in trouble for or was potentially risky or something like that, that would be my entire vision over those three days. Everything I did would be based around that moment that I was coming to. I don't know if this is a weird analogy. I don't know if it makes sense, but 
that was kind of it though. You know, it wasn't like if something was longer off than that, it was just like, I don't, I don't I care. See. Okay. I can't so, care. There's too many things happening before that. So you in your mind weren't going, oh, I just, I want to travel and see the world and do the, no, that, no, no, okay, no. wow. I mean, sure. I had things like, I just want to be rich and you know, right. everybody just wants to be rich. Right? Right. I didn't know what my game plan was. I just wanted to be rich. If I got rich, I probably would just get, kept getting high. Well, what's interesting about you is that you've earned a decent living and you have a decent amount of money and you've chosen not to spend that on drugs. It seems like, you know, if you're addicted and then you get clean and then you have all this money to on your in your pocket, you might go, well... Yeah, it's it's not even... It's I almost can, good to be poor because then you're, you can't I can tell you, the last money. time I legitimately considered getting high was probably when I was about... I'm, I'm going to say about... Probably between two and three years sober. Or no, nah, maybe like around three years sober. That was the last time I legitimately wow. considered That's getting high. a long time high. ago. Yeah. And what was it that made you want to get high? Uh, it was just kind of a group mentality. Two of the other guys I was living with from the Silver Living Home, we, were, we had an apartment in Koreatown at this point, and we kind of had just had this, I don't know where it came from, but one of us came up with this idea that we should just get a whole bunch of coke. Oh my God, that's know? so dumb. Yeah, and we all Did just kind of- Did they have problems from before? Of course. They were, oh, they were all guys I got sober with, you know? Uh, and we were all sober roughly the same time, you, you know, within have... six months of each other or whatever. Yeah, if I had any control over you or whatever, I would just say- you can't hang out with these people like a mother with, you know, in high school yeah. with a bad crowd. Right, you but these are the people that everybody wanted us hanging out with because we were all kind of were each other's support system. And I don't know where this idea came from. And we were kind of talking about it for a week and thinking about how we're going to put a bunch of money together and do it. And then it just fizzled out. And I think all of us kind of one day were just like, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. And I was like, I don't want to do it either. I'm, I'm done, you know, like I'm just yeah. not into it anymore. And kind of had a moment of clarity. And that was the last time I can tell you that I actually considered getting high. And I haven't even really thought about it once since then like there's zero appeal i don't care if it's free i don't care if i'm being paid for it it's not it's just it's a thing i don't want to do you know why uh because I, I know that it's miserable i know what the end result is yeah. and also like for me i'm only speaking for me but the the fun of getting high and i'm not going to sit here and be like it's not fun you know what i mean like people do coke and they do drugs because it's fun right they enjoy it at least at first that to me was fun when i was 15 it was fun when I was 14 because it was exciting and new and I was expanding my mind, dude, or whatever. You know what I mean? But I'm 34 <laughs> now. Like, I, that's there's there's nothing there for me. And I see people my age, even people that aren't drug addicts, just people that party on the weekends or whatever, things like that, you know, and they'll do blow or something like that. And, I, and I'm just, I the, the thought, in my, I'm just blank. I stare at them with my jaw on the floor and I'm just so confused. Like, I have no idea what the appeal is at. 40 years old for you to do blow on a Saturday night at a nightclub. Yeah, like, it's pretty what pathetic. what the fuck is wrong with your life, you know? Yeah. And these are people that have good jobs and they're not fucked up and they're not physically unhealthy and they're none of those things. You know, they're they're regular people and they party and they're welcome to. I'm not judging them partying as far as like they enjoy their life and do whatever they want. I just don't get it at all. That's how far it is for me. Like I don't even, I can't. Like I'm, I don't even know how to explain how far off I am from doing that. But the mental changes are the things that are, like that's what takes a lot longer. So that's really where the magic is for me. I wanted to ask you that because Stevie, who used to host the show with me, she said at one point she did a lot of drugs in high school and she thinks that it screwed up her brain enough to mess with her mental health in the future. 100%. You don't I, have depression or anything though, right? Like you're very mentally stable. I'm a pretty stable person. So when I first got sober, even I was he physically healthy, you know, I put weight back on, blah, blah, blah. But I was still out of my mind. But of course, you can't know that when you're in the middle of it. You know, it wasn't like I was looking at myself being like, God, I'm crazy. How do I fix this? You know, I was just me. And as you look back longer from being sober, you look back at those eras and 
you kind of eh, you get a little embarrassed and laugh at yourself, but also it's scary, you know? And then that keeps happening to me throughout my whole life. Like if I look at where I was three years ago, which was 14 years sober even, I can see a difference and I know it's not just me growing as a person. Like I know those things happen, you know? But it's definitely related to the amount of time I'm off drugs and it's definitely related to that, that sobriety and something, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's any medical evidence to back this up, but there's something that's still shedding it's still leaving, if that makes any sense. And mm-hmm. I don't know when that stops and, you know, you're completely, you know, free and clear of it or whatever. But, yeah, she's not wrong for sure. You know, at least in my experience, she's not wrong at all. Do you ever see a therapist? Uh, no, I haven't been to a therapist since I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah. You're, it's almost lucky that you were so young when oh, totally. you got off drugs totally. or started and then ended totally. drugs because you didn't. One of the questions I wanted to ask was, do you regret the time that you wasted doing it? But then I'm like, well, you were 17. You know? No, I don't at all. And you if did... I was going to do it, which like we talked about in the first episode, every psychologist that ever saw me was like, he's going to, I would way rather have gotten it out of the way back then. And I think that probably the child brain is more resilient to, you know, like, like let's put it this way. If you tear your knee open when you're 12, you're probably not going to have knee problems for the rest of your life. If you do it today at 34, 35, you got a problem forever. Do you think if you didn't start drugs as a kid, you would have eventually as an yes, adult? Yes, I do. That's yes, so crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, like we talked about, I was already addicted to other things prior to drugs. Baseball, Baseball cards, cards. You know, stealing money from my parents, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You know, I don't, probably other things I don't even remember or not aware of, but yeah. Yeah. So my friend Jen, who is resident consultant Jen uh, on the show, she listened to your show and she said, because at the top of the show that you were on last time, I said, do you think your exercise is an addiction? And so she wrote, she text messaged me and she was like, that guy, Colin, he said it isn't, but it's definitely an addiction. Interesting. Interesting theory. She was like mad at you for not admitting that it was an addiction. No, it's, it's honestly not. It's literally spurred by me wanting to stay in shape and not get old and out of shape and my body breakdown and things. All the things I love doing, traveling, hiking, climbing up mountains, running around, playing soccer, playing basketball, golfing. They all involve me needing to be physically healthy, and I don't know a better way to stay in in shape than that. And also, I've been playing competitive sports my whole life, and I can't keep playing them because my knees are right. dying yeah, and things like that. that. So yeah. I had to find something. And recently, I just got into golfing, actually, in the last like six months, and I, that is an addiction. Is you it? You want to talk? Oh, yeah. 100%. You want to talk about me? But that's one of the ones I can laugh at because I'm not going to ruin my life golfing. You know? Right. It's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, if you start dressing like a golfer, then maybe you're going to ruin your life. Let's not go that far. That's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. How did you get into it? Uh, Someone's like, come on, man. I got some good clubs. You really got to try these clubs. A friend of mine who he's just kind of like a shit talker and you know, he likes to talk about sports he could beat me at. And, you know, so we played basketball and I destroyed him and things like that. So golf is this kind of his thing. And I'm always like, ah, I'm just not really that into golf. It seems too slow. It seems boring. Oh my God, or whatever. so and boring. Right, yeah, that's what I always thought. I'd rather listen to this podcast yeah, than exactly, golf. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And and that's the beauty of golf. You can do both at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. That's so, true, though. So he drags me out one day and I actually enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what? It, I, I love being outside. And I'm like, okay, golf courses are generally beautiful. And next thing you know, I'm... You know, I was talking to other friends of mine who golf, and I've realized I've got more friends that golf than I ever really knew because no one's inviting me to golf because they know I don't golf, yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, I'm like actually enjoying myself. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, and it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult. Like I played high level basketball and soccer, okay? This is a hundred times more difficult than those sports. No offense to professional athletes in those sports. Golf is next level. It is, it's impossible. The, the best golfers in the world talk about how they might hit one shot in an entire round that they that was exactly what they wanted to do. So, so is the 
enjoyment of golf aiming to get that 100%. one shot yeah, just I'm, you're trying yes. constantly doesn't that get frustrating of, oh my god I yes I would so be happy Gilmore and just chuck my clubs oh, you see people on the golf course all the time getting pissed throwing clubs and screaming and cussing and kicking the dirt and smashing the ground or whatever yeah, yeah. it's really entertaining actually but yes it is very frustrating and it is super addictive it's super super addictive because you're chasing like the 1% hit you know what I mean the yeah. 1% hit and and we want to chain like the high right and we want to chain 50 of those 1% hits in a row and it's fucking insane it's not ever going to happen so you're just going to keep doing it and doing it and doing oh, it and doing it every once in a while you'll it. chain two or three in a row and I you're don't just know what like chain means though you know like in a row like consecutively oh, like you'll okay. do one and then oh, another one exactly what you want to do then another one exactly what you want to do and in your head you're like why can't I just do this every time it's I know not you would happen. think I would have control over my body I can do the same motion every yeah, time no but way. you can't yeah. 0% yeah I did 9 holes once and I was like yeah I would I would uh, rather read a book yeah. <laughs> and I hate reading so anyway all right we're going to well have you did you say everything that you wanted to say about your process of of going through the healing part i mean i think i I don't even really know i mean i think for anyone who's listening if they're if you know the big things to me were just really if you're getting sober you know that you need to surround yourself with people that are sober that's really it sober like always and no like people that had a drug problem that are now sober yeah like you know people that don't drink are not sober they're just regular people they do or don't drink. It's irrelevant. Um, you need to surround yourself with people that have gotten clean off of drugs or alcohol. And the more time you can spend around those type of people, the better. Uh, the AA community and NA, whatever, whichever one you want to go to, is generally a good place to start because, you know, there's a lot of people there. Um, but it's not the only way as well. You know, you can find groups of people that are clean and start doing things with them that don't involve getting high. Because that was kind of the thing. When I first got sober a handful of times, I would come back and then I was young too, you know, but I would hang out with my old friends and it was like, oh, he's not drinking anymore. He's not doing drugs anymore. Like whatever. Okay, cool. They are in front of me. So what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? It's like, it's not a mystery. There's like a stupid AA cliche saying or whatever. It says if you hang out with the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut, right? <laughs> it's, that's the thing, you know, like you can't, you can't do it. You know, you can't be around it regularly. So you need to find a new support system. And that sometimes means you have to give up people that you consider friends because if they can't you know, stop doing drugs around you, then you need new friends, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing to me is just getting people to talk about it too. It's not like, again, we talked about the first episode, but like that stigma of like being ashamed or it being like some sort of weakness or something like that is fucking idiotic. It needs to leave. It needs to go away now. Like, you know, if you need help or whatever, if you're getting sober, like if you had cancer, would you keep, keep that to yourself? God forbid anyone found out, oh my God, what a loser. She's got cancer. Jeez, don't talk to her. <laughs> right. We, Nobody can do everything by themselves, right? And this is one of those things that you're not going to figure out by yourself. You're you're simply not going to figure it out by yourself. No way. It's the same with depression. I'm yes, you know, 100%. you can't surround yourself with tons of depressed people. It's going to make it worse. Right, You'll just pile on each other. But also surrounding yourself only with you, even with the best intentions to get out of your depression, is, is not going to do anything. Going to make it worse. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the same thing with the yeah. That's the same thing with the drugs. Would you say keeping your mind busy is part of it? Like ha- having things to do all the time? So that, that was that part latent- of the structure of the house. So there, you had to be aware. The thing, the whole thing, the whole thing that was critical in the house was awareness. Like some of the things were you couldn't wear shoes on the carpet. So there was a little thing. You had to take your shoes off before you got on the carpet. But then there was marble floors in, the, in some of the house. You couldn't wear socks on the marble. So you had to have your shoes on. You can't on. wear socks on marble? You had to have the shoes on. Like you couldn't on walk with no shoes on. It wasn't about... Oh, it was just for the sake of having It was just for the sake rules. of the marble okay. area, you must be wearing shoes. The carpet area, you must be not wearing because shoes. Because in your brain, it's going to start carving out a better stream that you're going to start Correct. doing better habits yes, or something. Yes, and you're more aware of what you're doing. Because you hear a lot of times... I'm not, this right, is, this aware, is a real right, thing. you said. Yeah. You hear a lot of times of people that got high, 
you were like, well, like, what were you thinking? Like, you were at home hanging out, and then what happened? And they're and they're just they'll be like, I don't really know. Like, I went out, I took the car out with the intention to get lunch, and the next thing you know, I ended up like in my dealer's neighborhood or whatever. And you, it, I know that sounds crazy because everyone's hearing that's like, okay, that's bullshit, right? But I've heard it enough times to be like, okay, this is not bullshit. Like, people just kind of next thing you know, they end up in an area that's there's a much higher percentage chance of them getting high. And they're like, well, I'm here. Well, I'm here now. It's like me at the grocery store. I'm like, yeah, "Ah, I'm this close. I might as well go in. And it's so easy to be like, oh, you know what? Just make a momentary decision, which is like, oh, you know what? I'm pretty miserable anyway. Like whatever. I'll just do this once, like just $20 or something like that. That's an easy decision to make, especially when you're in the drug dealer's neighborhood. You know what I mean? But when you're aware of everything you're doing, you don't even get in the car. You don't even, you don't even think about walking to the car unless you have a purpose because you're going to the car. A lot of it too is like lying to yourself. And the only way I can relate to that is because like on Instagram, like I'll go, I'll open my Instagram 5 million times in a row and, but I'll say to myself just one more time. Yep. And I'm totally lying to myself. Yeah. And like I do it with sleep, you know, with the, when the alarm clock goes off, I'll lay there and I'll say, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. count to 10 in my mind or count to 30 and at 30 I'm getting up. But I'm as, it's weird, though, because I know I'm lying to myself in the moment, but in the moment, I'm like, no, 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 but I'm actually going to do it. But I clearly am lying to myself. So it's a lot of, I think, lying to yourself when you're like, well, I'm just this one time. And Yeah, it's, it's actually even less aware than that. It's not even lying to yourself. It's literally like tuning out. And right. this is going to sound crazy, but it's like the, the alcoholism or drug addiction disease is kind of taking over and you're just a drone for that. And you kind of end up in these shitty scenarios, you know? And that's what it's more like because you'll catch yourself, especially in early sobriety, you'll catch yourself doing little things that you kind of will snap out of and be like, what am I doing right now? Like, what am I, why am I even doing this? Not even necessarily toxic things, just things that there's no explaining why you're doing them. Yeah. And then you're like, well, that's not me doing that. What's going on here? You know? Well, with depression and, and there's a lot of negative self-talk and my, and my other podcast, my co-host Marnie says that when she used to feel the social anxiety, she would snap herself uh, with a rubber band on her wrist to snap herself out of it. But, it's hard to even get to the point that you're being aware that you're doing that, that you're right. feeling right. nervous or shy because it just seems like the normal everyday moment. Like yep. you can't see from the outside. So it's really difficult to have that yep. awareness. It's not about snapping the rubber band. It's about being, being aware, aware enough to know that to snap this is the rubber that. band. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because I could tell myself I'm going to do that same technique and then never snap my rubber band because I forget that that's... Correct. All right. So we're going to do uh, a couple segments. Okay. antidepressant of the week okay so what was something that happened this week that made you feel good oh that is really hard to answer very difficult always. to answer yeah yeah um i think this is a wake-up call because it's so hard to answer that people we need to be more aware of things that make us feel good i'm aware of everything that makes me feel bad I'm, you know, the slow driver, the, you know, the heat, you know, I'm constantly aware of like what was negative. This oh week, yeah. I can complain was... about a thousand things a day exactly. for sure. Like the idiot that didn't turn left on the green arrow. Exactly. And like oh, that, yeah. I want to kill him already. Yeah. Yeah. But what's something positive? I think, so I'm kind of in a weird transition phase right now, which is, you know, a little uncomfortable in general because I'm pretty much 99% committed to selling everything I own, moving out of my house. We're in a very similar position, except I don't own anything. Yeah. Well. But so both. you're ahead of me then. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just going to probably go travel for a while and just figure, because it's something I just really want to do and I'm trying to figure it out. So, but there's, it's, that's scary too. You know, there's a lot of it's uncertainty. It's hugely scary. Well, like when that. I got here, I was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, 
Like, look at all this stuff you have. So people who can't see inside here, the few, because sometimes there's weirdos that actually watch the podcast from through the windows. I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, that's totally legit. People who can't see inside here, I'm in your house and you have these insane paintings that should be in a museum. Like you're going to sell all of this stuff? I'm going to. That seems pretty crazy. Yeah. I feel like this is a great segue to my eBay auctions. Just kidding. Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you are going to have no, one, you I can don't totally even know talk if I am. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I'm, I, it's just stuff. I can get right, stuff it's, again. It's totally just stuff, but again, it's very grand stuff. It's just a big commitment to, you know, for me, getting rid of the stuff and having to get new stuff is kind of negligible. I okay. Whatever. I can, I can, I can sell the stuff. You're not emotionally stuff. attached to the stuff. I mean, maybe a few things here and there, but I'll deal with it. Um, it's more just about the uncertainty because if I go and just run around the world for a while, that's how am I going to make money? What am I going to do when I get back? What am I, you know, there's yeah. just, so, I mean, it's just wide. Like, I'm, basically just going i, I don't have I an agenda have the balls. but it's something i've always wanted to do you know and i did it last year to a certain degree for six months and i was the happiest i've ever been in my entire life and so what is it about travel that does it for you i always i like travel to an extent but then i feel displaced and i feel like i want to feel familiar things and you know i don't really have the i mean i love los angeles i grew up here i love the city like I have like a, I could talk for an hour about how much I love the city. It's wow, my favorite city. Wow, I could talk city. for 2.1 seconds. Oh yeah, no, I've There's been. There's sun, okay. No, I've been to it's a lot right. of places and I love this city more than any other city that I've ever been so to. That is so crazy. I love it here so much. I, I mean, I can I see how it. people can, but because you've seen so many parts of the world. I love it here. All right. And there's a lot of areas yeah. that I like truly love too. I mean, I could, again, I could talk about Croatia for 10 hours and Iceland and yada, 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 but yeah, I love Los Angeles. So I definitely do miss Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is not going anywhere. Well, barring a gigantic <laughs> earthquake. Right. Um, in which case, I'll be happy I did leave. It's not going anywhere. You know, when I left for six months last time, it's I got back and it was, you know, right. it was the same. So are you saying like your antidepressant of the week would be the idea of going yes. to travel for? Yeah, that's where I was uh, getting a ticket okay. a very long time. Sorry. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's the exciting part. It's scary too. And it's a lot of anxiety because of it. And it's just a big commitment. But at the same time, it's for sure the like happiest thing I just know it's one of those things. I know I want to do it, and the closer it gets to doing it, the harder it gets to do. If that of makes course, any sense, yeah. but I'm you gonna be, do it. You can be big tough guy from afar, like oh yeah, I'm gonna travel. Oh yeah, I'll sell everything and travel. Da, 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 like you know? for me, I'm moving to New York. I'm big tough guy right now. I'm ah, moving to New York, but like once I'm there and I don't know anyone and I'm like alone. Yeah, I'm just, you're in New York. Ah, yeah, you're one of yeah. twenty million people in New York City. Or whatever yeah, and then I just pee my pants. Plus, I got to bring my dog with me. Of right, course. I was gonna ask about your dog. Hundred percent, she's coming. Traveling the entire country with your dog. Country, world. World. Yeah. Well, you're welcome for the emotional support animal suggestion. Yeah, I'm going to have to get that for sure. Yeah, so I can take her everywhere. <laughs> you certainly are. Yeah. Okay. Well, my antidepressant of the week would be uh, when resident consultant Jen came to visit uh, and I went to her cousin's and we went swimming and um, I never do anything just simply fun. Yeah. And I don't allow myself to go in pools because I actually currently right now have a Brazilian blowout on my hair, which is a straightening process to not to totally straighten it but to defrizz it and so chlorine takes that out of your hair so i allowed myself for the first time in so long to just jump in a pool i'll go into a pool but i've got my hair up i kind of just wade there i stay but this i was going down the slide i was jumping i was having fun just like such a simple thing but it was so necessary for my brain to just have a simple bit of fun yeah so you had fun I had fun. Great. And you I, should do that more often. Yeah, but but no, I won't. Um, but anyway, so that was my antidepressant. Can you go in uh, salt water? No, salt water and chlorine strips out the process. So Both it's, of them, salt water too. Yeah, so it sucks because in the summertime, 
especially now that I'm going to be back east, the humidity makes my hair huge. So I need to have this Brazilian blowout on my hair to keep it maintained. Fresh water lakes up in the Catskills. Right. So I know, and I hate lakes. So anyway, so, you know, it's like you're, you're kind of screwed because then you can't go in the ocean in the pool. We're covering the big issues today. But it's like I can never just loosen up my butt cheeks and have fun. I'm always clenched like, ah, I can't I can't get my hair. I can't. My, my, my eye makeup's going to come off. I'm going to whatever. So the other day, yeah, I just had fun and didn't care. Good. Yeah. So, okay. So next segment, uh, 50 Shades of Grey. Grey isn't sad. Didn't see it. Didn't read it. But okay. No, that's okay. So just look at the scale. And I know you're a relatively happy person, but I'm curious what on the scale. So white is the happiest and black is super, super sad. Mm-hmm. So just add the numbers together and tell me what you are on the scale. Oh my God. The, right now in this moment. In this moment, yeah. uh, this is an impossible thing to add. If impossible. it goes back and forth from zero to a hundred all the time. You get sad? Yeah, all the time. But like not chronically sad. Not, I mean. Where you'd have depression. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, I'll go through like three-day phases or something like that where I just don't even want to leave the house or I literally don't leave the house. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to see... Uh, check this out. I'm Just so everyone can uh, imagine what I'm doing right now. I'm unlocking my telephone. It's very exciting. Yeah, this is exciting. Got my home screen. I'm over Very my, good with the with the unlocking. Good technique. One I'm hand. I'm over on my messages thumb. right now. Okay. And then I will let Kristen tell you what she's looking at. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Your Postmate is arriving soon. Your Postmate is arriving yeah. soon. Your Postmate is arriving soon. Your Postmate oh, yeah. is arriving soon. Oh, yeah. That's sometimes three in one day. I don't leave the house or see anybody for the entire day except really? the Postmate person. Yeah, yeah. So do you go on anti... What? Have you ever thought of... Is it a problem? No, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's just kind of... I I think it would be a problem if it didn't happen, to Right. Be well, it's it's normal to f- have emotions and yeah. to feel sad it's everybody that i know that's always happy and always in a good mood eventually has a breakdown in the end of yeah, the mental ma- hospital yeah they're out of their like minds yeah, yeah they're crazy well like things are shitty for everybody sometimes everyone has their own yeah but you there's know, the thing where threshold and all that you're down but then there's a difference between down and being depressed yeah you're i like, mean or having depression yeah like it goes in different scales for sure you know like i'm generally very stable but there's sometimes where i just dip down for three days where i don't want to leave the house or whatever and what makes you not want to leave the house no idea i don't know is no it idea. just a lack of wanting to engage with the world? Sometimes it's just like overwhelming. The idea of getting up, yes. putting on clothes, yes. leaving the house. And I'll set my alarm in the morning. But cool, it's 10 a.m. I'm going to go to the gym, you know? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play video games for just one hour. Next thing you know, 2 p.m. rolls around. That's I'm like, the going okay. to the drug neighborhood yeah. and yeah. saying, I'm just exactly. going to do it once. So now I'm like, yeah. well, you know what? I got to order some food and then go to the gym because I can't work out until I have to yeah. order food. So I order some Postmates and then I eat the food and then I'm like, ah, I'm tired. Like, I'll go to the gym later. Next thing you know, it's I, I'm ordering food again and it's, you know, midnight and of course the gym closed and i didn't yeah. even leave the bedroom today. yeah it's exhausting like i always say with when you get out of the shower as a i mean as a woman needing to do your hair and your makeup getting out of the shower you're at like sea level and uh pretty is all the way at the top of mount everest it's such a job yeah like know? it's a trek or whatever <laughs> oh it's it yeah yeah it's work so all right well so then but what's your number what in this very moment in like, this in very moment mood 100's bad is very bad is the worst like you're like that's like suicidal and the white is almost like you're too happy where there's something mentally wrong with you yeah no i don't really <laughs> approach that maybe like momentarily you know if like yeah. you know i hit the perfect golf shot i'm right. at zero for one second um yeah i don't know like 30 let's say 37 oh, so you're human oh yeah okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Definitely. all right well, good to know so i don't really see you feeling like sad yeah. i don't see that in you i didn't really was that a question from a you're lot of so listeners shallow is he human no, no. yeah <laughs> my own question no i don't think you're shallow but i think you seem like kind of like you have um you have the type of brain from afar obviously i w- was wrong but one that would just seem to be able to ride the ups and downs and still be super st- stable well i do 
and I'm still super stable with those things. Like there's a big difference between me just being like, whatever, I'm not leaving the house today and ordering food and me, you know, if I did leave the house that day and went out, you probably wouldn't notice anything. I'm not outwardly. Well, yeah, you're not going to wear a black trench coat and like put your hair in your face and be yeah, all emo. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's like 100 right there. <laughs> that's you know? 100. All you Orange County kids out there, you're right. operating at a 100. <laughs> Stuck in 2001. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so anyway, for me, I think right now I am at probably because of my anxiety, my anxiety has been through the roof. I'm probably at a 60, 58. 58. Yeah, I'm kind of right now. I'm, that I'm, seems conservative. From here, you seem like you look like you're having like an 83 week. Oh, no, that's... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm, kidding. I'm totally oh. joking. It's like, I should have worn more makeup. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, because I don't feel like I when I get anxiety, eventually I start to feel very depressed from it. But right now I'm in that kind of like up upswing of anxiety where I'd say upswing, meaning it's like in its highest phase. Yeah. Uh, it makes me feel almost angry or just frustrated. And so I think my mood right now is is the frustrated 58 or whatever I just mm. said. Yeah. What did I say? Like 58 or 60 yeah, or something? Yeah, right around there, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, uh, these days will pass. I can't wait for them to pass, uh, but I'll be fine. So anyway, yeah. thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, of course. And if you guys want to follow Colin, he has quite the Instagram page. If you like looking at uh, large packages and if you want to do stuff on Patreon, like watch movies and stuff with me, go to patreon.com slash mentally chill and subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And uh, follow me on Instagram at Chris Karn, K-R-I-S-C-A-R-N. Other than that, remember, stay sad enough to listen, but not too sad. Bye, guys. Bye.